this time, the children can head out to Children's Church, where you guys have a lesson prepared just for you. For those of us who are remaining in here, we are going to continue talking about our spiritual exercises, which make us spiritually fit, the disciplines. Um, we talked last week about fellowshipping with each other. We discussed how fellowship uh, is only real, meaningful, intimate relationships are only created when we share our struggles and our successes. And so we looked at the biblical concept of lamentation and celebration. And we talked about how it is, it, it is not that we have good friends and then we open up and share these things. It is opening up and sharing these things that creates the good friends. And so uh, we see in the scriptures the call and the admonition that we should share our, uh, uh, our burdens as well as our joys together. We talked about how lamentation divides our grief, but celebration multiplies our joy. So when we interact with each other in fellowship, one of the things we have to remember is that obviously we are still always, as long as in this life, we are interacting with human beings. Uh, when we interact even in the church, we are interacting with flawed people who are not perfect, who make mistakes. And so in fellowship comes uh, the requirement for this next spiritual exercise, which is the exercise of forgiving. Forgiving is central to Christianity. In fact, it is what makes Christianity unique in uh, all of the world's religions. Every other religion is based on you finding a way to make up for the wrong that you have done in your life, whereas Christianity would not exist uh, uniquely if it was not for the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus. It is given and extended to us. I want to start with the words of Jesus. It comes from the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, verse 12. Uh, Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And that's going to be um, uh, an important verse that we're going to need to look at. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But to begin with, I want to start with going to play up here for a little bit. So here we have a scale, a precision scale. Um, when we look at the scale right now, what we see is that everything is in balance the way it should be. It is even. It's laid out. Um, there's a reason we're using this. There's a reason it's used in uh, legal circles or whatever, you have the image of the uh, a justice who's blind, but uh, justice is always holding up the scale, right? The concept of justice is best represented by this imagery of a scale. Everything is in balance. One side is equal to another side. Everything is fine. This is, uh, I, I, we're using this because God created us with this sense of justice, that we are supposed to have everything in balance. So we are created in balance, and we expect life to work a certain way, people to act a certain way, things to happen a certain way. Inevitably, though, things don't always work this way. Someone acts against us 
in a manner that we would not appreciate. And they insult us, they injure us, they hurt us, whatever it is, they wrong us. Now, we would call this wrong because we are not in balance anymore. Our life is now out of balance. They have done something to us that has disrupted the balance. It has disrupted the harmony. We're not made to live out of balance. You see, what we, the first thing that we learn is, and I want us to, Jesus uses the word debts here, and this is important, because sin creates a debt. So I don't, this morning we're not thinking of sin as an illness or a disease or anything like that, a cancer. It is a debt. Those are the words that uh, Jesus used. Sin is a debt. See, when someone sins against me and puts my life out of kilter, when I'm bent out of shape, if you will, what happens is in order for my life to get resituated the way it is supposed to be, to go back into harmony, that person owes me. I look at someone and maybe it's an I'm sorry. Someone steals from me. I need them to pay me back until my life comes back into balance. This actually teaches us, we as human beings, we, we don't tend to do justice very good. We always want more from the other person than what's owed. The entire Old Testament is teaching this principle, right? An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That which you lose, you are now supposed to be, you're supposed to get restitution. It's supposed to be returned to you. But what do we do as human beings? We are absolutely flawed in justice. Is we never want just an eye. Someone plucks out my eye. I want to pluck out their eye and cut off their ear. That sounds really, that's really disturbing. I'm sorry. Um, we want more out of someone than what they took from us. And so, but what it does is it puts us back into imbalance to where now the other person has to come and they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to take your ear too. Maybe I'm going to cut off your nose. Oh, okay, now we're out of balance. And we go back and forth and we are constantly in a state in our relationships where we are constantly trying to even things out just right. I give you just enough, you give me just enough that we get our life somehow back into balance. Looks like maybe, maybe we've done it. Sin creates a debt. And restitution is the only way that we can put our life back into order, isn't it? Or is it? Now, if someone has sinned against me, I actually have two options. I can either demand restitution and wait and hope that I get it out of them. Or the quickest and easiest way to put my life back into balance is to do what? I forgive the debt. And now my life is back into balance, and it has nothing to do with the other person. I'm back to what I want to be. I'm back to wholeness. Now, maybe, maybe, I just love playing with Lego, sorry. Having so much fun. Let's 
Cade, you're going to have to come and find the Legos wherever. They're all over the place up here, buddy, later, okay? I'm just going to let you know after service. If you want them, I mean, I don't know. All right. Oh, my goodness. All right. So let's say we decide, no, you know what? I'm going to live in restitution. I'm, I want my life to be balanced because someone gave me the right amount. Okay, great. So I'm in balance. I, I'm just as I, I'm probably just as imbalanced as if I had forgiven. Except there is one difference between this and forgiveness. I may be in balance, but I'm still weighed down. There's still burden in here. And I'm still carrying that burden. So someone else comes along, and they sin against me. Well, let's say they, I even get them to say they're sorry, and they make up for it. Do you see what's happening? With every person who sins against me, I may get myself back into balance by exacting my vengeance, by getting my restitution from them, but with each situation, my life, though in balance, becomes heavier and heavier and heavier. And I'm carrying this load albeit in balance. I'm carrying it. No, the way for us to actually achieve what it is that God wants for us is to live in forgiveness. This is why it says in Micah, if you've ever wondered this, I love this passage in Micah, uh, uh, chapter 6, verse 8. He says, uh, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So here, I want to explain this because this, this passage has to do with the scale. If I come along, and here you are, and I sin against you, according to this passage, I need to act justly, which means if I wrong you, I should always seek to make it right. I'm not going to wait for your forgiveness. I'm going to make it right because I'm going to do justice. And if I've wronged you, I'm going to make it right. This is why, this is why Jesus says, uh, he says, if you come to the altar and you're bringing your gift and you remember that your brother has something against you or that you have sinned against your brother, what are you supposed to do? Before you give your gift to God, what are you to do? Go and make it right. You act justly in your actions. But the second part of it is also what we do. He says, love mercy. Do not wait. Though we make sure that other people's lives are in balance. If we sin against them, we are going to provide restitution the reality is we're not going to sit around and wait for other people to make our lives better. No, what we're going to do is we're going to love mercy. You sin against me, it's forgiven. It's gone because my life's going to be in balance. This is all about what God wants from us is to live the life that he designed for us in balance. So if you sin against someone, you go and fix it. You fix it right now. You do not wait. You put their life as much as you can. You put that you put their life back into balance. And if someone sins against you, do not wait for them to apologize. You forgive it and get your life back into balance. 
God's design and desire for us is to live in balance the way that he created us to be. This is why Paul says in Colossians 3, 13, he says, uh, uh, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has also forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And so we get to the second point that we have to understand with forgiveness is this, is that we have to forgive as Christ forgave us. We forgive as Christ forgave us. He set the standard for forgiveness. Paul says it a lot in his letters that we need to forgive the way Jesus forgives. What did Jesus say uh, there in Matthew? He said, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We, the debts that we have are erased, and so we then go out and erase debts. And he said, the funny thing is when Jesus talks about sin, he talks about it in terms of debt, not illness, not mistakes, not flubs, debts that are owed. So here in Matthew chapter 18, he tells this parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Sin is a debt. It is owed. I want to clarify, forgiveness is not ignoring sin. It's not pretending that it didn't happen. Sin happens. Someone has to absorb that penalty. Now, either I exact it out of the person who sinned against me and I make them bear that burden, or I forgive and I bear that burden. I pay that debt. The debt is always paid. Forgiveness means I don't exact it from someone else. I will carry it on their behalf. Church, let me, ex you, you understand this? I know you do. Christ became sin for us on the cross. All of our sin went on him. He took our penalty. He took our shame. He took our guilt. He took our death on himself. He took it so that he would not have to demand it from us. 
That's what for, the cross is what forgiveness looks like. Forgiveness is not turning your head around. It is not leniency. It is not ignoring. Because that wouldn't be just. No, forgiveness is still just. The penalty is still paid. Christ took it on himself. And so when we are told and called upon to forgive the way Christ forgave us, that means whenever anyone sins against us and puts our life out of balance, we will pay the debt. We will absorb it. We'll take the punishment. That's rough, but that's what forgiveness is. Either I take the debt, I take it, or someone else does. And we are told to forgive the way that he forgave us. So in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 20, Paul says this. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God did not count our debts against us. He forgave our debt. And he has given us the same responsibility. I'm going to, let's change it. The same privilege. Do you realize this? It is a privilege to forgive. You and I are set free from the teeter-tottering back and forth of trying to manage everything and make everybody compliant and our lives out of balance and be constant fighting with people. He has set us free from all of that. Forgiveness is a privilege and a gift not only to be received but to be given. This is why in Matthew 5, verse 9, Jesus says this in the, in the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We seek to bring peace to other people's lives. We seek to bring peace into our life. This is the basis of Christianity. The alternative isn't isn't good. The alternative to being the peacemaker of forgiving like Christ did, the alternative is that unforgiveness leads to hate. And I feel like Yoda, right? Um, I should have had the quote up here. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Unforgiveness leads to hate. Paul tells us this. It's right here in Ephesians 4, 31 to 34. He says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. 
Stephanie, can you back it up one? I want to look at the first verse for a second. There's an order here, and it's deliberate. It's not random. When you... When your life is not balanced because of the sin of others and you are carrying that burden, literally, you're bent out of shape. I used that phrase earlier. I don't mean that. Your life is out of shape. It's out of whack. It's not where it's supposed to be. This is miserable. We don't like this. This isn't where we want to be. And we wait. The more we wait for someone to fix it, they don't. What happens is we begin to get bitter towards them, right? We begin to resent them for uh, what they do. What resentment is? Resentment is like sunglasses, shaded glasses. So, so someone uh, has done something wrong, and all I can do, all I can do in my mind is see the wrong that they've done. And over time, it grows and grows to where I see them, and all I see is what's wrong with them. I don't even see the good stuff anymore because it's tainted. It's tainted with these eyes of bitterness. And when that happens, I start to get angry at that person. Bitterness, I resent them, and that makes me angry. And here's the problem. When they don't care, have you <laughs> when someone is angry at you or when you're angry at someone and they don't care, the next thing is the next step, which is the clamor and slander. Now you begin to try to control them. If they do not respond to being controlled, then you move to malice, which is injury. There's a progression here of unforgiveness. When I do not forgive, I begin to, bitterness begins to set in. I start to become angry at the person I'm not forgiving. I begin to try to control that person when they don't care about my anger. And when I can't control them, if I can't control them, I'm going to hurt them. This is the nature of mankind. And unforgiveness leads us directly to hate. This is the alternative to forgiveness. But I want to I deal with one last question. There, there, inevitably, whenever I talk about forgiveness, and, and we all have situations in our minds that, that, that this can come up. We, we can, when someone tells us that we need to forgive and that and that forgiveness is about putting our life back into balance. It's really about us. We, we start asking ourselves, well, wait a minute. Does this mean that I have to put myself in situations where I continually let someone abuse me or hurt me? Do I continue to just allow the same thing to happen over and over and over again to me? So let's look at two passages. First one is this, Matthew 18, 21 to 22. It says, then, then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times? Shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. He's pretty proud of himself. Seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Some translations uh, translate it 70 times, seven times. So in a day, 77 times your brother sins against you, comes back and repents. You're to forgive him somewhere between uh, 77 times and 490 times. If you're, if you're counting, there's a problem because we're told in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 that love keeps no record of what? Wrongs. So you can't keep a record of wrongs 
and you have to forgive at least 77 times. You, you see where Jesus is going here. You see the tenet is that forgiveness is a way of life for us. It isn't something that we counted. We forgive for our own self. But, but, John chapter 2, 24, it says this. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. So Jesus, as he goes around, he's dealing with prostitutes and tax collectors and drunks and all manners of sinners, the religious leaders who are hypocrites. He's dealing with all of these people. And he is, when they repent, he is forgiving them. But this passage is very specific in saying, you know what, even in the midst of all that Jesus did, he didn't entrust himself to these people. Why is this important? Because there's a balance here, and that is this. The last point, forgiveness is not ignorance. Forgiveness is not ignorance. Just because Jesus forgave people. Forgiveness means Jesus removed the debt. Though he forgave us, he does not act like we do not have weaknesses. He does not uh, delude himself into thinking we're perfect. He isn't stupid. God knows we're sinners. We're told that, uh, that if, you know, if, if we sin, there is one up there in heaven who is going to plead our case for us. All we have to do is, all we have to do is confess. All we got to do is repent. All we have to do is admit it. And he'll wipe it away. That, that recognizes that we are still going to make mistakes. We are still going to make mistakes. We are still going to sin. And people may still sin against us. But even though we remove the debt, we don't have to put ourselves in the situation to allow a new debt to be created. In the time that I've been in the church, uh, most of us uh, have an experience like this or someone we know where a spouse has had her her husband commit adultery on her, who he's, he's cheated on. And I watched that a number of times with, with women at our church and watched the pain. And I've seen them deal with it differently. I've seen women leave their husbands, which Christ says that they have every right to do because uh, the husband has broken the covenant. But I have also seen wives forget. I have seen wives remove the debt from their husband. They look and they say, you know what, the, well, the, you broke the covenant. The debt there is that we're not going to be married anymore. That's, that's how we're going to, no, they forgive. But I can also tell you that those same wives do not continue to go about life the same way. They may remove the debt. They may forgive the debt. They may forgive the sin. But that man's life changes. Whether he's got to call and check in, whether he's not allowed to go with a member of the opposite sex alone to a business dinner, whatever it is, there are rules that are now set upon that relationship. And the reason it's not because he owes her something, it's because she is preventing him, helping him guard himself against going into debt with her again. That's intelligent. Forgiveness is not forgetting, and it is not ignorance. 
In fact, I'm telling you, every one of us in here, we stand forgiven in Christ, but Christ knows every one of our weaknesses and is working hard, hard to lead us not into temptation. I have to know my weaknesses in order to guard myself against sinning more. Paul, the same thing happened. So Paul, in his first missionary journey, he went around, and he and Barnabas were going together, and there was a guy named John Mark, the one who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Mark went with them. When Paul was imprisoned or, or house arrest, um, Mark just up and left. He just disappeared. And it really hurt Paul. It really messed him up. So years later, in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas are setting out to go on the, uh, their next missionary journey. So they're making their plans. Paul and Barnabas are great. Things are great. Uh, but then Barnabas comes up with a great idea. Hey, uh, Paul, why don't we bring John Mark with us again? I think that'd be a great idea. And Paul looks, and it says right there, he looked at him, he says, no. Mark will not come with me again. They get into such a fight about it that Paul and Barnabas don't even go out together again. They don't journey. Was this Paul not forgiving Mark? No. Because in his letters, he calls Mark after this. He calls Mark his fellow workman. He calls him highly regarded. I mean, he speaks of Mark in glowing terms. What Paul was unwilling to do. He removed the debt. Mark didn't owe him anything for his mistake. But he was not going to put Mark in the situation again to fail. He wasn't going to put himself in the situation to be abandoned again. So forgiving someone does not mean that you have to just open yourself up and allow someone to continually walk over you. Because the goal is to be back into balance. This is what forgiveness looks like. A world that is bent out of shape, people that are unbalanced. And everyone, everyone is scrambling to try to make someone else feel they're, they're just the quickest, the easiest the most long-lasting and the divine way to live your life in freedom. It's only found in forgiveness. Whether that is God soaking up in his son your sin and setting you right eternally, or you enduring the slings, the arrows, the insults, the persecutions of others without exacting restitution from them. almost doesn't make sense. It's kind of like a, it's like jumbo shrimp. I, I don't know. Freedom. Real, true, eternal freedom right now is only achieved through forgiveness. Peace is 
only achieved through forgiveness. Joy is only achieved through forgiveness. All good things that God offers only come when you allow God to erase your debt and you in turn hold no one else's debt hostage. It's what Christ taught. It's this. It's Christianity. So I'm going to challenge you if there is anything on your heart right now, any unforgiveness, any debt that remains outstanding. Paul said, let there be no debt outstanding among you except the debt of love. If you have wronged someone, act justly. Fix it. If someone has wronged you, love mercy and forgive them. And then all things walk humbly. And if you have never experienced that forgiveness, you can now. Let's stand. We're going to sing our song of invitation. If there is any need, anything that we can do to help you, help serve you, please do not hesitate to let us be here.